0: If you're here and you're not sure who I am, um, my name's Tom, I'm the vicar. And it is awesome that you are with us and it's a beautiful day today, folks, isn't it? It's just a lovely day and it's got that lovely autumnal chill in the air, which is amazing. And I love walking my dog on a Sunday morning because there is nobody around, unless some people who've had a very long night, shall we say, and they're staggering back to their student's accommodation And if they're from our church and they see me walking the dog, it's always that awkward moment, but there you go. But it's all grace. Uh, Folks, um, just wanting to take um, a little break from what we've been looking at already. We're asking the question, what are the virtues of Christian community? Why do we need to think about those virtues in this season of life as God calls us to be a blessing to the city? And I really want to start with a story and something that I've been reflecting on and I'm going to read from... Um, I'm going to read from the Bible, in case you're wondering, um, from Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24, the wise and foolish builders, and this comes at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, or sometimes known as the Sermon on the Plain, sometimes known as the Jesus Manifesto. And of course, it was, um, it was um, Mark Twain who once said that it's not the difficult bits of the Bible that he finds challenging, but it's the easy bits. And this is one of those that packs a real punch. This is what it says. I'm going to read verses 24 to 27, and then I'm going to read verses 21 to 23. Reverse the order, and hopefully that will become clear. So verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not form, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And then in verse 21, there's going to be a little, I'll explain a little bit of context in a moment, but it's worth the, this the, the wise and foolish builder story, well, what it is that Jesus says is linked with these previous verses, and this is what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There you go, folks. A few light verses on this this lovely Sunday morning to cheer us all up. And I've got a thought that is going around in my mind. And as I've reflected on this, I think it's something that the Lord is speaking to me about. Uh, And so if nothing else, this is just great therapy for me to share what it is I think the Lord might be saying. I think he might have something that I sense the Lord might be saying to us as a church, but we'll discern that together. And you might just think, no, I think that was the cheese. I'm not sure it's Jesus speaking, but anyway, I'll leave that to you. So a couple of, um, a couple of things I, I should confess from the start. Um, I, I have a couple of geeky hobbies, okay? And as a friend of mine who some of you will know, Richard England who was here many years ago, and he's now a vicar on the South Coast, says you should never mock somebody from their hobbies. That's because he likes playing with Lego. And um, he's older than me, and I do like to pull his leg about it. But he likes to challenge me about that. But I like gardening, folks. I've spoken about that before. That's on the record. But within my interest in gardening, I really like fish. And I love ponds. And this, is, this goes back from my, my dad. It's actually a, quite a long Finimore tradition uh, where my, my grandfather, uh, he liked ponds, uh, my dad liked ponds, and, and I, as a child, loved playing in a pond. So much so that, rumour has it, folks, that when, I had a paddling, when my parents set up a paddling pool once when I was very young, they, my, for some reason my parents used to put Savlon in the water don't know why. In case I cut myself, perhaps. But I was uh, used to create a lot of bubbles. And when my parents weren't looking, I got a, f- a net and I caught all the fish out of the pond, and put them in the paddling pool. And they were fine. They 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 seemed to live. They they seemed to inhabit the chemical space of the paddling pool and survive. Some for a very long time. So so there you go. So um, when we lived up on Rygate Road, we had a little pond out the front. And when we moved to the rectory. Uh, My son, really, who also shares an interest in these things, he likes catching creepy crawlies, and there's always creatures in ponds. So I said, Let's dig a pond. And so we did. And it's the hardest ground, folks, in the rectory that I've, in any of the houses we've ever lived in. Maybe there's prophetic there, I don't know, but it was so hard. And the weird thing is, is that the previous people who'd lived there, who should remain nameless for the purposes, had obviously decided to put lots of sheeting on top of the ground and lots of stones on top, but never addressed the soil underneath. So you just leave it with you and you can reflect on that if you want. So I started to dig the hole and I had to get some help from people to help me dig the hole. And finally, the hole was dug. And uh, I thought, how can I my, my criteria was to make it look really lovely? I'd done some research on how you how you dig it, how you put what's called rocking a pond. I know it's all on YouTube. there's loads of people on there who do this stuff and I'd worked out a plan. I had even come up with a design and anybody knows me with quite a lot of detail. okay, then that's fairly unusual for me. So we got the plan. And I thought. My wife had given me a fairly strict budget on how to do the whole thing, so I bought some stuff off a very highly unreputable multinational uh, internet shop, Which, uh, and so the liner arrived, you put in a plastic liner, and we built it, and I had some little helpers, which was a mixed blessing, but they, you know, kind of helped. And we filled it up, folks. We filled it with water. And I thought, wow, this looks amazing. And I thought, I'm, I'm actually quite pleased with myself. And I actually said to Clarissa, I said, you know, I think I could do this for a living. I'm really, I'm really enjoying this. And we all looked around. And even a frog from, appeared from nowhere and jumped in as if to say, I approve of this. And so we all looked. Kids were like, this is going to be amazing. I thought, actually, this is better than I thought. And then I went out the next day to survey my hard work and thought, ah, there's a lot less water than there was the day before. <laughs> and I thought, it must be, a re- it must be settling. <laughs> it can't possibly be a leak because <laughs> there is tons of rocks in here. And um, so I filled it up again with water and I thought, I prayed over it. Is it Jesus. <laughs> We give this to you and I thought it's going to be fine and then um, I, I got a text message from my daughter who said I think there's a leak and I thought no there can't possibly be because we prayed over it and I thought yes there's a leak because the water was going down and down and down and down and um, even now my son has thrown a tractor in which he's just floating at the bottom, that, that just summarises how bad this pond is and so I was sharing this in 9am prayers with Luke and Sam and Luke who's obviously got very clear pastoral gifts said do you think you were a foolish builder (laughs) so so once I got over the offense and uh, went back to the Lord Jesus I thought well I said Lord are you trying to teach me because I'm slightly super spiritual and I said Jesus are you trying to teach me something So I went back to how I would built the pond and I realised on reflection, in my eagerness to get the job done, I may have cut one or two corners. And when I shared that reluctantly with my wife, she was not very impressed. And um, when I spoke to my dad, he shared what he's done. My wife said, well, why did you not speak to him about it? And I said, well, that 's a good point, really, because I, well, I thought I didn 't need to really, but anyway that 's another we shall leave those domestic situations we'll, we'll part that for this moment and I thought, well, Lord, what does it mean to be a wise and foolish builder and of course, I thought well Lord, have I been have I, have I been unwise here? Well the truth is folks? the answer is yes because At the crucial stage, which is the stage which no one sees, the groundworks that's where the whole thing hangs. And actually, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to line it with sand or with carpets to stop rocks protruding or roots. And I didn't do that. I got some cheap felt thinking that'll do the trick. So I was, folks, the very definition. I stand here in my confession to you as a very foolish builder because the unseen part of the pond which the thing that holds the water I didn't give enough attention to and what Jesus tells us about whether we're building wisely or foolishly at the very the kind of the very end of the sermon on the mount or as it's known as the sermon on the plain he tells this story and before he tells that story he delivers these really very 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 brutal words which in my bible is in headed true or false disciples and when I hear those words, it reminds me of a time when I was a university student. And sometimes uh, other people who were very much more conservative would say of people like us, well, you do all these things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says he never knows you. So what is going on there? Jesus is essentially saying, is describing what is authentic Christian faith? What is, it, what is it rooted in? And he's describing people who's come to him and say, Lord, Lord. Um, not, uh, Jesus, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? Well, what's happening here? Well, Jesus is telling us, Jesus is revealing something to us, which, which on first glance, you can read it and miss. But he's describing people who have everything absolutely sorted. And this is when the words of Jesus get really uncomfortable. Because if you're like me, when you read the words of Jesus, you always think of other people. Yeah? Is that just me? I think, I really want them to hear this. I mean, I don't want to hear it because I think I'm sorted. Well, if you think you're sorted, that's who he's talking to. And he's talking to people who say, Lord, Lord, Adonai in the Greek. He's talking to those people who say, who address him as God. So, so they recognise his divinity, they recognise his authority. So they're saying to him like that their Christology is perfect and they're saying, we know who you are. And then there's a little trick in, in the Hebraic here and they say, Lord. Lord well have they got a stutter are they just on repeat what's going on here to say it twice is the absolute confirmation of what you believe it is the absolute affirmation of passion you're not only saying God but you're saying it twice and in Hebraic culture that's saying like we really mean this and they're saying we have done all of this stuff in your name and you know he says You're doing all of this for me, but I never knew you. You're so wrapped up in doing stuff for me in my name, building an identity on how good you are for Jesus, but you didn't know me. I didn't have your heart. And then Jesus soccer punches the point even further. And he's saying to people who are on the edge of Galilee, who know the area, it, it, it rains about 12 times on average a year in Israel. It's very, very low rainfall. But in the north in Galilee, when it rains, it rains. And so what would happen is the streams in the rainy season, which wouldn't last long, but when it did, it was ferocious. Would, would the the water would gather quickly and it would come flooding down the hills from the Golan Heights. It would come right down into the into into Galilee. And what would happen is the str- the streams would rise really quickly, and they would devastate what's in the way. And they would bring they would they would leave rocks and they would dip sand deposits. And if you're a geography, you've ever done geography, you'll know more about these things than I do. I did geography years ago. I can barely remember a thing. And what would happen is people would, it's a fertile place, it's a place that you'd want to live, and people would want to build houses near enough to either a populated area or near enough to the lake itself if they were going to make a living as fishermen on the lake, so they'd look for a place to live. And on first, and what would happen is people would sometimes build houses where the river was. And everybody knew that's a bad place because when you build a house there, what's going to happen in the rainy season, it's going to get blown away. But people knew in that time that the smart people would build a house on the rock, which required more work. It would require digging deep. It would require excavation. It was hard work to do it. And so Jesus is beginning to say, be like the person who builds their house on the rock. He says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. No one one chooses to build their house on the sand. No one realizes the sand is there. What is the sand? The sand, the things that in life that are not the firm foundations are the things that we do for God in his name but without him. They're the things that we... That we gain a deep sense of identity from, but actually it's it's activity. It's been busy for him. It's it's it, it, and it can happen in church life. I remember when I went to St Barnabas, um, there was a bloke called Derek who'd been doing the same thing for fifty years. Well, the problem was. He used to do a lot of maintenance, and he was, a, he was a mature gentleman. He could hardly lift a hammer, but he still kept going. And everybody said, well, isn't he an amazing guy? And I thought, well, he is an amazing man. But he was so caught up in doing it, it was more important to him than walking with the Lord. And so what happens is the winds and storms of life come. And what we discover, folks, that we're built on is not actually the Lord himself but in a routine or in a repetitive pattern or in just being and doing for him. So the Lord Jesus says build it in knowing me. Knowing his voice. Walking with him. Loving him. Walking every day with him, holding things lightly. The reason that that's been on my mind this week is because is we had a conversation, uh, Joe, Joe and I with somebody, um, Joe Ovenden, who's now ops, the operations person, and we were chatting about the vision of our church, and you'll know that um, we uh, planted a church in Fur vale. keep praying for those guys, God is doing amazing things there, Um, we'll be sending a team to Stannington. I can't say anything official, but it's exciting. And which probably will send a team to Stannington in um, March or so of 2023. And then Luke on the front row, he'll call me the foolish builder. He'll be off, praise Jesus. No, no, he'll be off. And the diocese are very exciting. It's so exciting. There is Honestly, there is favour from the Diocese of Sheffield which I never thought would be possible. It can only be the Lord. It's absolutely amazing. It really is remarkable, folks. Thank you for praying. Keep praying. And we had a conversation with somebody, and they said, okay, so you're sending these people, these people, these people, these people. They said, well, what about the money? And I said, yeah, what about the money? Well, we'll send people and money. We might run out. And I said, yeah. It's a good way to go, though, isn't it? And they said, but the church will get smaller. I said, yeah, yeah, good point. You see, the question is, what is our identity built on as a church? Now, I read a book by a man called, I am reading a book, rather, by a man called Robert Warren. Some of you might know him. Do you know what he says? Because he had, I realised he was a wise man. Do you know what he says? The biggest challenge to a church is success. In fact, he quotes, he, he quotes um, Deuteronomy. I wrote it down as Exodus and I read it in the Bible Thought that ain't right. He says this, it's a warning from the Lord. He says, you don't be in a position where you say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. He also quotes in his book, the cru- in the Crucible from Revelation 3 from the church at La- Laodicea, where we get to a stage where we say, I don't need anything anymore. What he says is this, is that success, and that is in the history of our church, can breed a sense of complacency where we can get attached to doing stuff for the Lord that we've actually moved away from him. And when we move away from him, what it means is we no longer need him. And actually, when we need him, it is desperately uncomfortable. And I think, as I've been the super spiritual soul that I am, As I watched my pond, as my pond has about three inches of water left in the bottom now, I was like, Jesus, what are you saying? And I think he was saying this, build the church, which is his work anyway, on him. What does that mean? It means we're probably going to have more prayer meetings than we've had in a long time. Because it seems to me everything has to be birthed in prayer. I was on a call with Bishop Rick Thorpe, the bishop for church planting, and he said the whole of everything has to be birthed in prayer. Last week we had Pete Gregg here in our church for the Diocese of Development Day, and he talked a lot about prayer. And I thought, Jesus, I think you're speaking to me. I can so easily step into stress and pressure, and I must fix this and realize that my prayer life has remained unchanged. So I think Jesus is calling us into a season where he's asking us to pray to him. And prayer always reveals our intimacy levels with the Lord. And I think he's saying, come closer to me, church family. The second thing is this. I think he's calling us in this season to pray for more of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that we see the presence of God more in our gatherings. Alan has asked me last week about how we do that more in this gathering. Times when we can stop and say, Lord, this is your church, what do you want to do? Because Jesus, we think you need to be done by 9.55, so, you know, you better get a move on Lord. And actually, he might want to say, he might want to do something different. So we ought to ask him, really, haven't we, if it's his church. And create space. We don't have to we don't have to shake rattle and roll. But time where we can be still in his presence. Time perhaps when the Lord's asking us what we need to do with our finances. And our money to rethink clusters to become like households to be very influenced by conversation around house church and household and what it looks like for us to live perhaps more communally and as a family as as we love the city to do all those things that will only work it doesn't matter how smart we are it doesn't matter how clever we are in our research it doesn't matter how amazing our past has been folks it has to be breathed upon by the presence of God if it's going to work And in church life, I was so encouraged to read Robert Warren's book because he was so honest about the struggles that he faced. And I thought, I can identify with that. And there are cycles in church life where there are times when we do really well and we've had an amazing history. It's a beautiful church. I'm so honoured to do this job. But we can't rest on that, folks. Because it seems to me that the leaders who led us before would say the same thing. We come back and we say, Lord, you're the one that never changes. Lead us to the rock that is higher than I. That is you, Jesus. We don't settle on what's gone before. We step forward because we want to build the house on the firm foundation, which is on the Lord Jesus Christ, who never changes are on the foundation of knowing his presence knowing his intimacy and knowing that he's the sending spirit who always sends us to the least, the last and the lost who in this next season people who, are, who will queue up for our food banks we need to bring in and crank up the heating because they ain't got it on at home who we can love, embrace as beautiful, precious people made in the image of God And the invitation from the Spirit is to say, Okay, Lord, I give it all over to you. It's all from you anyway. I give up my right to myself, my money, what I do in my body, all the things that culture to say define us, we give it all to him, and we say, Lord, what adventure do you have for us next? because we want to give everything that you have given us over to you. And you know, folks, I don't know whether... I don't think the Holy Spirit punctured my pond. I think um, he didn't... I don't, and I don't think it was the devil either. I think it was me cutting corners. It was me more determined to get the job done, more determined with how it would look on the outside than paying attention to what was going on. And I don't want to super-spiritualise it, but if I can learn something from it, it's this. What is the foundation? That's my question. Is it reputation? Oh, yeah, I'm the vicar of St. Thomas Crookshire now. Oh, I'm getting invited to all these things. Oh, Jesus, oh. She feels rather good. Okay, what is that about? Or is it saying, Lord, over to you. What do you want? And I would say for all of us in this next season, there is an invitation to us all to to pray, to give, ask the Spirit what's he saying to each one of us in this next season. Because he has something for each and every one of us to do. He's not given up with us yet, folks. Be encouraged. Let me pray.